start where you explain why that Aleph is. Okay, today we begin a new Sefer, Sefer Vayikra. And um, the first few parshas are very challenging because it deals almost exclusively with the animal offerings that were brought in the Mishkan and in the Beis HaMikdash. So for many of us, it's very not so interesting because we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, unfortunately. We don't bring korbanos. However, we are told that our lips are meant to replace the korbanos that were brought. And therefore, whatever messages we can learn from the korbanot, we can apply to our uh, lives when we pray. Okay, so that's what I want to um, help us with this. And some overall good Jewish ideas to understand as... Uh, Although we don't have a base of English, all these similar ideas are true, and it should help us really understand why we pray. And a lot of people have mistakes about why we pray. And what is the real, if you'd have to say in one sentence, what is the objective of prayer? We'll just take your answers and we will put it in a sealed envelope. <laughs> then we'll give you the answer right about towards the end of the class. If, I would, if, if you would have to explain to somebody what is the purpose of praying in one sentence, to maybe... To talk to Hashem. To emulate Hashem. Kapalah, what you do? Okay. Talk to Hashem, connect to Hashem, emulate Hashem, kapara. Oh, I'm connecting the same thing. You kapara, you connect to Hashem. Okay. Any more? Okay, we'll leave it at that, and then... Maybe uh, also, you know, if you, if you go for other things, it is also like, you know, asking from Hashem, thanking Hashem, praising Hashem, everything. No, okay, okay, fine. So, that's all true, but I think there's one underlying, more fundamental aspect, that all these things that you're saying are correct, but they all are based on that one little sentence that we're going to share with you at the end, okay? So let's just uh, hang on to that. And uh, I don't know why I have the first three sources here. We're going to start with source number four. We're going to discuss uh, some of the details. Now, don't get too uh, uh, bored so quickly uh, on some of the details, but you're going to see that they're very, very relevant. So let's look in source for <clears throat> what happens when a <clears throat> person, let's say, does a sin, has to bring a korban chatos, let's say. And what does the person do? He brings the animal to the kohen. He brings it into the azara, the courtyard of the Beis Migdash. And I'm going to read from the Hebrew. You can look at the English on source number four. yado arosh oh, This is an ola, I'm sorry. He... Uh, he, what is Samach Yado? He leans his hands upon the Ola. Now, this is the owner of the Korban. Okay? He has to buy an animal. He leans his hands on the head of the Ola. Veneer Tzalo, and it will be accepted for him. Lichaper Allah, to atone for him. Next. Veshachat es ben habokor lifnei Hashem. And he shall slaughter the young bull before the Lord. 
V'hikrivu b'nei Aaron ha'kohanim esadom, and the sons of Aaron, meaning the Kohanim, will bring the blood. V'zorku esadom al ha'mizbech suvi, they'll sprinkle the blood on the altar around, asher pesach ha'omoid, which is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Yes? Who will slaughter? Who is? Who will slaughter? That was the very next question I was going to ask. Thank you. That's leading us in perfectly. Who is the one that slaughters the animal? So look, look at what, let's just get, uh, understand. V'somach yodo, he will lean his hands, that's the Yisrael. The one who's bringing the korban. V'nir tzalo, and that will bring atonement for him. V'shochat, and he shall slaughter. And then it says, V'hikrivu b'nei'am so what do you think that means? Who? So, v'hikrivu, okay, let me just explain the steps. First there is smicha, leaning your hands on it. Then there is the slaughtering. And as it's being slaughtered, Bloody someone has a receptacle underneath, the blood goes right into it. And then that blood is brought to the mizbeach, and it is sprinkled on the mizbeach. So the question is, clearly we are told the owner of the animal leans on the animal. Mm -hmm. Clearly it says the Kohanim bring the blood to the Mizbech and sprinkle it on. Here's the question, who slaughters the animal? The Kohen doing four actions. The four actions, the four actions in the Kavad uh, Koban, the Zrika is the fourth four section, the last one. So what? So, so he starts, he slaughters. So who, who slaughters? The Kohen. The Kohen. Okay. How do you know that? Because you learn a lot of Talmud. That's how you know. Yeah, we studied in Yoma. We studied okay, in Yoma. Okay. But other than that, we mentioned. First of all, there's a, a way you have to slaughter the animal. If someone uh, Israel doesn't know how to do that. That's what the Quran study how to do that. It's not okay. too easy. It's what, what, if, what if the Jew decided to study on his own? He's, not, he's not a Kohen. Like a Kohen is not needed for this slaughter. He's not, he's not the one who's chosen by okay. Hashem. We have, we, we have a debate now. Okay, that's very good. So Shmuel is saying the Kohen is the one who does the work in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, Shlomo is saying what? Kohen is not needed for the slaughter. Why? It says the owner can also slaughter. I mean, oh, you're can... looking ahead. No, I'm not. Uh, where, where are you looking? One. Which number? Four. Four. So, okay, explain to me why you're saying that. Good, good, good. Speak. It says he shall slaughter the owner. He is okay. related to owner. If, if you are just looking at the text and you know that the one who's leaning is the Yisrael, Right. And then it says, Vishachat, and he will slaughter. So we're not sure what it is. Let's say we're not sure what it is. But then right away it says, Then the B'nai Aaron take the blood and sprinkle on his bath. Well, if it's the coin is slaughtering it, then it says, say, Vishachat to B'nai Aaron. The coin slaughters it. And then, because it mentions the coin brings the blood. And sprinkles the blood. Okay. Why didn't it just say the Kohen slaughters and brings and sprinkles? Right? It would seem that we've got specific uh, specific nouns. The owner leans, the Kohanim bring. 
There's no reason to assume that the one doing the action shifts until we introduce the Kohanim. So let's take a look at the, uh, the uh, Rambam. Well, let's first start the Rambam in source number five. And then we'll look at the Rambam source number six. We're going to see a number of interesting things. Okay, number one. Okay, the animal should be slaughtered in the place where Samicha is performed. Meaning to say, the animal is slaughtered directly after the Samicha. In other words, as soon as you lean your hands on it, immediately after, you shecht. That's number one. So the first question is, why does it have to be immediate? Why can't it be a few minutes later? Why does it have to be immediate? Next, the person performing samicha must do so with all his power, placing both hand on the head of the animal, as it says, we just read the puzzle, on the head of the burnt offering. How is smicha performed? If the sacrifice was one of the offerings of the most sacred order, should the animal stand in the northern portion of the temple courtyard facing the west. The person performing samicha stands to the east with his face to the west. He should place both his hands between its two horns and recite the appropriate confession for a sin offering. The sin which warrants a sin offering and for a guilt offering, the sin which warrants a guilt offering. For a burnt offering, he confesses the sin of the negating of observance of a positive commandment or a negative commandment that be, can corrected by the observance of a positive one. Okay, how does he confess? He says, I sinned, I transgressed, I committed iniquity, and I did this and this, and I've repented before you, and this is my atonement. If he is bringing a peace offering, he should perform smicha with all strength anywhere he desires within the temple courtyard, where the animal will be slaughtered. It appears to me that one does not confess on a peace offering. Instead, he says words of praise. So what's he saying? A few things. Number one, if you're bringing a sin offering, you must do the samicha north of the altar. Specifically north of the altar. Peace offerings could be anywhere. So the question is why? Why does it have to be north? If everything else can be everywhere else, why not that? Now, so that's another question. Finally, um, why does he have to put both hands on the head? You like? Why didn't he put both hands on the stomach? Because Why does he put both hands on the uh, backside? Because because he showed that if not, then even he will be slaughtered by head. How you kill a person by head? In the stomach, you don't kill him. You kill him one shot on the head. That's the stomach. You get by the by that, he has to, he has okay. to feel that the animal, the animal is sacrificed instead of him. Because I understand because of him, but he, he probably no. sinned with the lower part of his body. But he wasn't thinking. Yeah. Okay. okay, all right, okay, okay. Now, let's do source number six. The Rambam, in the laws of Beis Amitur, says the slaughterer of sacrificial animals is acceptable if performed by non-priests. This applies even to sacrifice of the most holy order, both individual sacrifice and communal sacrifice, as we just read the Paschus. And he shall slaughter the bull before God, and the sons of Aaron shall offer it. 
implies that from receiving the blood, the mitzvah belongs to the priesthood. So Shlomo got that one right. A few others got that right. Rabbi, did everybody, like, saying it was okay to know why somebody was bringing an offering? Because if it's in the northern part, then it's clear that you did a sin. Okay. If it was anywhere, then you save a person embarrassment. So. Okay, well, there's a few other things that were done in the northern one to avoid that problem. So that's a good question. Uh, now, so, and uh, let's look at the mission in Caleb in source seven. It's different parts of the courtyard. It says the area designated for the Kohanim possesses a greater sanctity than the area designated for Yisrael. The, the courtyard was big. As you first entered, there was a little section where the Jew... I knew that was going to happen. How do I just say no? There. That was going to happen. Decline. Okay. Okay, anyway. So, uh, so the Yisrael can go in a little bit, but then after that, it's only Kohanim. But we see the Aries that says dedicated with the Kohanim have a greater sanctity and a member of Yisrael may only enter that area when prescribed to do so to perform semicha, shechita, slaughtering, or tenufa, ritual waving. So you see that a Jew can enter there and can slaughter. But not only and can slaughter, says the Vilna Gon, and it also is for Rashi, he says... The acts of smich and tenufa may only be performed by the owners, and it's a mitzvah for the owners to perform the shechita. Not just optional; it's a mitzvah. Not smicha and tenufa. He must shechita. Well, from the Rambam, it seemed like it was optional, but from the Gro and Rashi, it seems, it's a mitzvah. It's more than optional. It's preferable. And now we take it to the extreme. We go to the Holy Sohar, who says like this, someone else should slaughter it and not the coin. He's not just saying the coin can. He shouldn't. Again, because the Pasuk doesn't seem to mention the Kohanim for slaughtering. And then he says something very strange. A coin is forbidden to act with justice so as not to blemish that which is one with chesed. We have to understand what that means. But you see from the Zohar, really the coin should not do the slaughtering at all. So what, what comes out? What generally happened... The Kohen, generally speaking, would slaughter only because, as Shmuel said, he studied. They only, Kohen only worked in the base of Vegas for two weeks, a year. They spent the other time studying how to do the service and other things, which we'll talk about. So, um, so really, the Israel should do it. But as you said, many of them don't know how to do it. Just like a father should circumcise his son. That's the optimal way to do it. But since they don't know how to do it, so we have a mole do it for us. But uh, really, the Yisrael should be doing it. It's a mitzvah. Okay, if you can't do it, someone has to do it, so the kind does it. That seems to be Alpi Nigla, according to the revealed law. 
But according to the esoteric hidden law, it's saying really the coin should not be doing it at all. Now obviously there's no Yisrael to do it, you don't got a choice, but really it's it's not optimal for the coin to do it. So we have to understand why. Okay, these are the four main questions I just want to address. Um, number one, why does he place both hands on the head? So some of you have already come up with some answers for that. Why must the Shechita happen directly after the Semicha? Why is it done, the Semicha on the northern, and the Shechita done on the northern side of the Mizbeach? And why does the Zohar say that the uh, Kohen should not sacrifice the animal? So we're going to give an answer, and it's going to be like in four little segments over here. And the first segment, we'll share with you an idea from the Kashag Lover Rebbe, who basically, I don't have it inside, um, who basically says the following idea of what, how Avodas Hashem is supposed to progress. And it's a, you know, a lot of people say this idea. Okay, it's three steps in Avodas Hashem. The first step in Avodah Hashem is to use your brains and to know what is it that Hashem wants you to do and what does Hashem not want you to do. Now, you have no way of knowing that unless you study Torah. You have to study Torah. If you don't study Torah, you don't know what Hashem wants you to do. And some things are very black and white. Hashem does not want you to work on Shabbos. He wants you to rest on Shabbos. Then you got to study a little more. What if somebody's sick and has to go to the hospital? They have to study a little bit more to know under those circumstances you could take someone to the hospital. And then you have to learn more to know what exactly can't I do on Shabbos, what exactly can I do on Shabbos. So you got to use your brain first. Uh, somebody hurts your feelings. Well, it's too late to start learning the laws of taking revenge or not. You have to study these laws first. That's the first step. Second step is that the brain now has to influence your emotions to want to do, to want to do what Hashem tells you to do and to be disgusted in not wanting to do that which Hashem does not want you to do. That's the second step. You, you got to work on your emotions. And then finally, number three is that your body has to do it or body does not do what it should not be doing. Those are the three steps. If you do those three steps successfully, you will be a good Eved Hashem. You'll be successful at Eved Hashem. If you find that a person is not successful, now we have to start digging in and to find where the breakdown happens. Now, obviously, the breakdown on the simplest level can happen if you don't know what Hashem wants you to do. That's clear. If a person is an ignorant person, then the Perkyava says, Ein bor yorechet. A, a boar cannot have fear of sin. You don't even know what you're supposed to do. Okay, that's one thing. Number two, even if you know what you're supposed to do, you may not want to do what you're supposed to do. And then the question is, why? Why? That's, a, that's an important thing we have to, to look at. So even if you know what to do, but till you do it, you got to want to do it. So what is the struggle that the human being has with the Yetzirah? The struggle that the human being has with the Yetzirah is that the Yetzirah 
does not want you to want to do it. He wants you to not he wants you to not to want to do it. Okay. So now let's take a look at the Tanya in source number eleven. He says, it's a long discussion over there, but the, the main point is the essential thing is to govern and rule the nature that is in the left ventricle of the heart. Now, he tells us that the heart has a right ventricle, a left ventricle. The right ventricle is where the Yetzir Tov resides, and the left ventricle is where the Yetzir Hara resides. And he says, he has to govern and rule that the nature that's in the left ventricle, how? By means of the divine light that irradiates the divine soul in the mind. Okay? That means you have to illuminate from the mind into the heart. That is to say, to rule the heart by means of meditation in the mind of the greatness of the blessed Ein Sof, the never-ending God, whereby his understanding will beget a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord in his mind, to make him turn away from the evil condemned by the Torah, by the rabbis, even from a minor rabbinic prohibition, heaven forbid, and at the same time arousing the love of God in his heart, in the right part of the heart, with a fervor and desire to cleave to him through the fulfillment of the precepts of the Torah and the rabbis and through the study of the Torah, which is equivalent to all of them. So, part one is telling us that in the service of Hashem, we've got to study. And even if you've studied, so certainly the HR wants to give you every reason world not to study. That's the first thing. If you don't study, then you're just oblivious to what you have to do. But if you need to know what to do, the Yetzirah wants to block that which is in the brain from getting to the heart. He doesn't want it to get there. Your job is to get it from the heart to the brain. That is the issue. That is where the real fight with the Yetzirah exists. So therefore, even people who study Torah and know what the will of Hashem is, often will not do the will of Hashem. Why? The Yetzirah will figure out all kinds of reasons to get you to not want to do the will of Hashem. He could make a person arrogant and figure he knows better than Hashem, even though he knows what the will of Hashem is. He could have the person be fearful. He's afraid to do a certain mitzvah because of repercussions that could come from a mitzvah. He could cause rationalization to, uh, of him to excuse and figure out, not no, to contort what the will of Hashem is. There's all kinds of tricks. And this is all basically summed up in source number 12, where the Gemara Navodazara says, very interesting. If there is a sword, there is no book. If there is a book, there is no sword. Now, the words Sefer is a book, Saif is a sword. They sound pretty much the same. They always have a Samach and a Fe. So, if there is a book, you're studying, there is no sword. The sword can be meant on many levels. If you're studying Torah, you will not kill anybody. Or you might not get killed. But if there's the sword, that means there's no book. So this is the first idea, part one, so to speak. This is the challenge in our Vodas Hashem. So success means 
that the mind is able to penetrate into the heart. Failure means the mind is not penetrated into the heart. And you're going from here to here. This is where the battle of life is fought. And as you've already figured out, what is the main um, road between the mind and the heart? Is the neck. Right? The tzavor. The neck is that which connects the head to the rest of the body. Which connects the mind to the heart. Okay. That is step number one. Step number two. There's an interesting Gemara in Sukkah, and we all say this line in, um, what do you call it, Eishas Chayel. It says, Vitoras chesed alishona. Okay. Pia pascha v'chachma. She opens up her mouth with wisdom. Vitoras chesed alishona. And the Torah of loving kindness is on her tongue. So the Gemara asks the obvious question. Is there then a Torah of loving kindness and a Torah which is not of loving kindness? Hmm. How could you say a Torah of loving kindness? Which seems to say there's, there's a Torah not of loving kindness. So Gomorrah gives two answers. The second one is some say there are or some there are those who say typo. Torah which is studied in order to teach it is a Torah of loving kindness. The Torah which is not studied subsequently to teach it is a Torah which is not of loving kindness. Which means to say, when you're studying Torah, what, are, what do you plan on doing once you've studied Torah? What if somebody does not know Torah? Do you plan on sharing your Torah with that person or not? Now there are some people who don't want to do that. Why? Can you think of a reason why somebody would not want to share the Torah with someone else? I think it's a waste of time if the person isn't interested. Well, you think it's a life. waste of time if the per- what if the person is interested? They don't want to waste their time. Oh, they don't want to waste their time. Let's say you're very smart. You're very you've studied Torah a long time, and when you learn, you could learn pages and pages and pages in a relatively quick time. Now comes a novice says, "Will you study Torah with me?" I said, why should I study Torah with you? We're going to be with you for an hour. We're going to do two lines in the Gemara. What is that similar to? To a rich man. A rich man has a lot of money. And he doesn't want to share it with anybody. He said, I spent a lot of time making that money. If I give that money, some of that money away, then i got to work more. How is it different to be financially rich versus intellectually rich you have a vast uh, repository of knowledge and every and we're talking about a person who doesn't waste their time so every hour that I have is another hour's worth of knowledge I can so I can go I can go and make money another hour I work I make money if I'm giving charity then I'm taking away the time that I use for that so really I say listen I'm, I'm I, I have to I'm sort of learn Torah I can't waste my time teaching to others if that is, that's, that, that's the Torah is not a Torah of Chesed. Torah's Chesed al-Shona means you're learning Torah so that now when you have Torah, you'll spend some of your time sharing it with others. Rav Moshe Feinstein, Zechariah famous tshuva said, just like a person has to give 10% of his money to tzedakah, he should give 10% of his time to learn with other people who don't know how to learn so well. So a person learns 10 hours a week, let's say, 
he should commit one hour for someone who is less talented than him. That is Torah's chesed al-lishona. Comes along Geshvili Pinchas, Rav Pinchas Friedman. Oh, and by the way, you have stories of great rabbis who would do this. You are all kinds of stories of um, Rav Nassim Tzvi Finkel, Zechrova, the Rashiv of Mir. Often, uh, you know, sometimes a Bacher, he was a very busy person, and, but sometimes he saw Bacher was down, he'd offer to learn with him for a few minutes. There's certain people, like, it, it, it was one story where Shabbos afternoon, nobody wants to learn. You just had lunch, you had cholent, you want to take a little nap, and Reb Svi didn't nap on Shabbos. So one time a Bachar asked him, would you learn with me? He said, I'm really very busy. The only time I could learn with you is Shabbos afternoon after lunch. And the guy was like, he said, okay, I'll do it. Because if that's the only way to learn with Rav Nassim, but, but he would learn with people. The Chabina Rav, Zichron uh, Racha, uh, Rav Dov Beresh Wiedenfeld, he died in the early 1960s. He was in uh, Russia during the war, whatever. Um, he spent a lot of time, he was a godless, mamish, incredible Nazar and when he was in Russia in certain places, he would teach all based on people. <laughs> so that's Torah's Chesed al-Lishona. But now says the Shvile Pinchas, he says, the most simple understanding is how about if you teach the Torah to yourself? What does that mean? So let's look at source 14. I gave you the English. Let us suggest that a person who successfully illuminates his heart with the light of the Torah from his brain demonstrates Torah's chesed. He is passing on his Torah knowledge to others, in this case, to his heart. Yet, if his Torah knowledge remains isolated in his brain and he fails to transmit it so that it will subjugate the Yetzer in his heart, this is clearly not Torah's chesed since it's not being passed on to others. So what, he mean, what he's saying is, okay, I, I'm, I'm a person who's studying Torah. In this brain is tremendous knowledge. But what have we said from the Kosher Glover Rebbe is that it's three steps. You got to know what Hashem wants, but then you've got to want that which Hashem that you know that Hashem wants you to do. So now the question is, the Torah they have here, is it a Torah's chesed? If somehow you can take that Torah and influence your own heart, then you have helped someone else. In other words, they, there's the cerebral part of you and the emotional part of yourself. And then if you're able to learn Torah in a way that it you're able to teach it to your emotions, then that is Torah's chesed. And that's a very important idea. What he is saying is that when you're studying Torah, not only should it be for the purpose of teaching others, but more fundamentally, it's for the purpose of teaching yourself. You say, I understand, I can't teach myself. I'm learning myself. How am I teaching myself? The answer is, your brain is learning. But what is your heart assimilated? Many people, their brains are full with Torah, but their heart is empty. So Torah's chesed means you take that Torah that you know 
and you find a way which we have to discuss find a way to bring it like the post says you shall know it today and bring it into your heart so when you're studying Torah with the purpose of when I got the knowledge it's going to seep into my heart and that will change my heart that I want to do what Hashem's will is that is called Torah's Chesed Alishon. It's very interesting. What's the first letter of the Torah? Base. What's the last letter of the Torah? That's a tricky one. What's the last word of the Torah? Lamed. 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 Kol Yisrael. Last clause. Lamed. What does it spell? Lev. But that's only if you go backwards. Well, of course. Of course you have to go backwards. Because as soon as you finish learning Torah, what do you do afterwards? You go back to the beginning. Which means to say, it's not enough just to learn the Torah. Why is it that we got to do it? Why do we got to do it every year again and again? Because I ended with a Lamed, but now I got to get back to the beginnings of base. I want that Torah to influence my heart. That's what Torah really is all about. It's about influencing the heart. And if you're able to influence the heart, then the Torah has accomplished what it's meant to do. Step two. Okay, so we got step one is that the main service of Hashem is know what Hashem wants. Want what Hashem wants. Do what Hashem wants. Now we have an idea of Torah's chesed, which means you know what Hashem wants, and the real chesed is to bring the Torah from the head to the heart, and that is really Torah's chesed. Regular Torah is not going to do it. We can use another term, you want to be more litfish, that's called Torah lishma. Learning Torah for the sake of Torah. What's the sake of Torah? That your will should change because of the Torah that you learn. That's part number two. So let's talk about hearts. What do you know about people's hearts? So, what causes a person to sin? What causes desire? Them? Yes. So let's look at source fifteen. The measure says the wicked are controlled by their hearts. As they give examples, it said, Novel said in his heart. Asav said in his heart. Haman said in his heart. And what were they saying in their heart? Not good things. While the other hand, the tzaddikim, they control their hearts. It says Chana sp- spoke to her heart. We have all kinds of examples of that. So really, the game is won and lost in the heart. Okay. And therefore, the real issue is, and this is where the sin is, it's not usually in the brain. It is that the heart is you're either winning the battle of the heart or you're losing the battle of the heart. And the message is not going from the head to the heart. That is the major problem over here. If you're looking at the core of all sin, it's that we're lacking Torah's chesed. We're lacking that Torah that is being learned in a way that will influence our hearts. Because at the end of the day, why do we do what we do? What, what, what drives human behavior? At the end of the day, why do you do whatever you're doing? 
because you want to. In one way or another, think of what you did today. Okay? Did you go to work today, Hanoch? Yeah. Why? I have to. What? You have to pay the bills. You have to. What do you mean you have to? You don't have to. Well, you, you want to. You want to be able to be in a nice house and you want to have food. Right? What if you don't want what if you don't want to have a nice house? What if you want to live on the street? What if you want to be a homeless bum? Then you don't work. Right? Everything depends on what's in your heart. So so the Avera is coming from the fact that you're not win, winning the battle of the heart. And this is where we come to what uh, some of you said. So what's the real issue here? The real issue here is that the head and the heart have been separated. There's a schism between what you know in your mind and what you bring into your heart. And therefore, as we continue, the Rambam in source number 16. And the Rambam spells this out Ramban, I'm sorry, Ramban, Nachmanides, spells out very nicely. He says, a person's actions result from a combination of thought, speech, and deed. Now, hence, when he commits an act of transgression, you've used all three areas to sin. You sinned in your mind, you were thinking of sinning, you probably were talking about it, and then you did it. So now you've got to do tshuva, you've got to go with all three the other way. So therefore, God has a certain protocol dealing with all three. Bringing the korban and leaning on it with his hands corresponds to the deed. Verbally confessing corresponds to the speech. Burning the various parts of the fire corresponds to the thought, because that's emotion and the fire is emotion. The blood is sprinkled on the Mizbeach representing his life force. By following this protocol, a person should have in mind, as you guys said, that he sinned to his God with his body and soul. There is only fitting that his blood should be spilled and his physical body should be incinerated. It's all by the grace and benevolence of the Creator that a substitute was accepted in his place, atoning for the acts of his blood, soul, and limbs. So therefore, you sinned using these three parts. Really, as a, when you sin, it's like rebelling against the king. You should be killed. So therefore, you do these three items in the course of killing the animal. Very interesting uh, uh, mnemonic here. The Rebbe of Shinova says on the Pusuk that we have in this week's part, Adam Kiyikrav Yakriv Mikem Korban Lashem Mikem from you Mikem is spelled Mem Chaf Mem stands for Mida Keneged Mida measure for measure in other words the animal is getting everything that you are supposed to be getting over here so, the, uh, so therefore the obvious point is where was your head? where was your head? and as we said that's why you put your hands on the head why? because the head where was your head? Why hasn't the head gone down into the heart? Well, you know why? It's because you cut off your brain waves from getting to your heart, didn't you? Isn't that why you sinned? So what should be your punishment? Off with your head. And therefore, off with the animal's head. So therefore, it's exactly, you're putting your hands on his head. 
Because the problem is what was in the head was not Torah's chesed. There may have been Torah, but it wasn't Torah's chesed. And what was the problem? He just couldn't get down past the neck. And therefore, boom! Who should shecht it? You should shecht it. Because that's who you are. That's who you are. That's what the problem was. That's why, uh, tongue in cheek, why do Hasidim not wear neckties? Because they feel it makes a separation between the head and the heart. So, my Rosh Shiva said, a Ben Tyre wears a tie. Because you have, you have to show that you're, in society, it looks like you're, you know. You have control over that. No, you're a respectful person. You're a dignified person. If that's how, how, how people in government, uh, people, important people wear a tie, you have to serve Hashem looking as good as possible. But, you know, but Hasidim would say no. You know, who says that's the way you serve Hashem? And Hasidim separate, use the girdle to separate the They use the girdle to separate the higher that's and lower separate, part of the body. The that's the tie they wear. Right. But not a necktie, a waist tie. <laughs> right. Something like that. Because that's what they want to separate. That's right. Well, and, and the Misnagdim also do that as well. Hmm. Okay, so that is part three. So now we understand now why... Uh, the, the person himself should check the ammo. We haven't yet said why the Kohen shouldn't, but we at least understand why the person should do it. It's playing itself out completely, and that's exactly where the problem is. You you cut off your head. You you figuratively separated your head from your from your uh, heart. So now you're gonna what should happen to you, and this is why um, decapitation is one of the four capital punishments because that's exactly what the problem was and therefore and that's what should have been happening to you so now if it's not happening to you hopefully in the future you will have your head connected to your heart yeah you have a question yeah I understand human is standing erect right yeah animal is but it's still horizontal. I understand but still the head heart neck same con same connection same connection Okay, let's move on. That was part three. Now we go to part four. Now this may seem at first blush not to be connected at all. We're going to see how it all connects in a minute. Um, we are told about uh, uh, Bilam, the wicked Bilam, that he wanted to be able to curse. He was had the ability to curse people, and the curses came true. How did he have this ability? So the Pasuk in Tehillim gives us a hint of this. He says, Kirega Biapo, for but a moment his anger endures, Chaim Birtsono, life results from his favor. What does that mean? Bilam knew that there's one instant in the day that God's anger can be unleashed. And if you catch that, Mamish, that nanosecond, whatever curse you give is going to come true. So in source number 19, the Tosos asks a simple question. What, can you, what kind of curse can you say in a nanosecond? Well, it's, how long is that? I guess it says, Ki rega beapo. Rega, rega means a moment. So get your stopwatch. Everybody got a stopwatch? No? Well, if you had a stopwatch, you time me this. How long does it take to say this? Rega. How long did that take? Okay, you don't have to... Rega is even less than a second. That's, a, that's all you can get. 
So what can you say in a rega? So look what Tosa says. I have a word. Source 19. Kilam. Chaflamimem. Kalem. Which means annihilate them. One word. Annihilate them. Boom. That could do it. That's an arega. So how come he wasn't able to annihilate them? He got the moment. You know what happens? However, Hashem rearranged the letters. You know, when you could say the letters, they have to go up to heaven. By the time they get to heaven, Hashem takes the letters and moves them around. Instead of kilem, he has the word melech, which means a king. So now, what does that mean exactly? What does that mean exactly? So let's try to understand what's the difference between Melech and Kile. Now remember, we talked about three principal steps in one's life. First, you're supposed to know what Hashem wants you to do. Then you're supposed to want to do what Hashem, what you know Hashem wants you to do, and then you have to do it. So what's, what's the wrong way of doing things? Well, one thing we said is, well, you know what you should be doing, but you don't want to do it. But there's another way it works. You know how the other way works? Instead of going top to bottom, you start from bottom to top. And that's really bad. First is, what does your body want to do? What does my body want to do? I want to be a transgender. What does my body want to do? I want to be selfish. What do you mean? You ask my body? Selfish? You have something I wanted. Every, everything I do is body. Now, if the body is where it starts from, then what's the next step? Then you want what the body wants. Right? My body as an animal, rational animal, I'm just trying to figure something that I would want to steal from anybody. But no one's got anything expensive on it. But if you had a fancy watch, I would say I want Is that your. Is that what I've asked about the stopwatch before? I, I, no, I want, I want your watch. <laughs> I want your watch. <laughs> so then, and then you get excited about it. The body wants it. The body wants it. Moves up to the heart. So the heart gets excited. Get emotional about it. And then you get the brain to rationalize that what you want is good. It's going the reverse way. Reverse way. This is the liberals. This is, they're not interested, they care about the homeless. They want one thing. They don't want to be moral people. They are animals. They're animals. So now, and they're basic animals, and now the animal wants to be an animal, so now you come up with rationalizations. You know, it's so interesting, you, 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 like, you can puke listening to talk shows. I, I only listen for about seven minutes every day when I drop off my grandchildren, before I learn with Shmuel, it's about, so at 8.47, 8.48, uh, 10.10 has one of these talk show oh, guys. Yeah. And I just listened so I can hear how crazy the world is. And they were talking about uh, this hockey player who they want the teams now to wear, um, you know, jerseys that show support for the gay community. I can't remember the name of the hockey player. He's supposed to be a Hushavu player. I can't remember his name. And this guy wouldn't wear it. He wouldn't wear it. 
So he was getting a lot of blowback, a lot of bad press. So they were discussing, you know, what do they think about it? So the guy says, listen, he's entitled to his opinion, as wrong as it may be. That's how he started the discussion. As wrong as it may be, because we know, we know, we have to have all equality for gay and all these things. And if they want to be recognized, we should recognize them. So therefore, but he has a right to not wear it, but he has to know he has to suffer the repercussions. Now you see where they're starting from? You see where they're starting from? Why doesn't it say, well listen, how about all the gay people should know there's repercussions, not everybody likes your lifestyle, and nobody wants to wear what you have. But that's not where they're starting from. You understand what's going on? That's how far it's gone. It's not like both, why don't we say, you want me to wear those things? There are repercussions if you want me to wear that. But it's not there anymore. And therefore, what are they saying? All, all these things, they're rationalizing. They're saying, no, scientifically, scientifically we can prove to you that being gay is normal. Also, then comes the science, you see. It's supposed to be, first comes the science, then you convince people to listen to the science, then you get them to do it. But here it's the opposite. They want to start with, we want to be animals, and we want to be, the, be the, the lion who controls the other animals. And that's what we really want. So now we're going to come up with ideas that will further that, and then I'm going to prove to you logically that that's what the science says. Do you, you understand what's happening here? It's exactly what they're doing. The science, since when did the science never say any of that? But we want to control you. We want to find a solution. And therefore, we're going to tell you that the science says this. So this I have to understand the crookedness of the world. So let's come back to what, what was Bilaam's curse. What is the greatest curse that could happen to a person? Well, we know the three steps. Thought, the mind. Speech, the emotion. Action. Where do they reside primarily within the human being? The brain is the moach. The moach is the brain. Emotion is the heart, is the life. And finally, the third thing is the blood. The blood that goes to what? The liver, right? Oh, the kidneys, yeah? The, the heart. The kleos, the kleos, the kleos, the kidneys. The heart manages. No, but, but the heart's in the middle. So, so, so you see those three. So you got moach, first letter is? Mem. Mem. Lev, first letter is? Kleos. Chaf. What does that spell? Melech. A melech, someone will say king, starts with what he knows, convinces himself from what he knows to be true is what he should want, and then he does it. But the opposite is lemech. No, the opposite starts with the chaf. Chaf starts with the chaf. No, 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 the kidneys. The chaf, the chaf. Then the heart, lamed, then the brain, mem, that's kilem. We say, we say, if you're saying with your brain, your brain manage your heart, you are no, no, but we're saying, we're saying more. It, it's it's moach. We want moach leiv kaved. Start with the brain, get emotional, and then do it. But they want it. What the Yitzhak wants? Start with the kaved. What does your body want? Then to desire that, and then to come up with rationalizations for that to happen. So what was Bilam really saying? 
He's saying, let the Jews be more interested in their bodies and then they'll get emotionally excited about it, then they'll justify it. And that will destroy the Jewish people. They're supposed to be a mamleches kohanim. Supposed to live like kings. Mm. Now, even though the curse didn't work, but the advice he gave worked exactly that way. Yeah. When the Midianite women oh, pranced before them, yeah. what did they do? They first um, shot for the body. And once the, they saw something they didn't see before, ooh, these very pretty ladies. And they got drank a little wine, so their hearts got into it. And then they said, I, I will not submit until you worship the idols. So they rationalized it all. And, they, and that's exactly what Bilaam, although he wanted to curse them, so sort of the, the curse kind of came true, but it came a little bit at the end. Okay, very nice. So we understand, you begin to see where this, where this is going over here. It depends on what direction are you going. And what are you, and this is all really, if you think about it, a lot of this happens all in a rega. Remember, the, uh, when, when Bilam prophesied about Amalek, he said about them, Reishis Goyim Amalek. Amalek is the first of the nations. Reishis starts with a Reish, Goyim with a Gimel, Amalek with an Ayin, it spells rega. And sometimes the difference between a Ver and a Mitzvah is in the rega. It's in the rega. Something presents itself. What is operating first? Is it the brain or the body? If the brain is operating first, then the heart is listening to the brain, and when the action comes, it'll be fine. But if the body is operating first, and now the emotions is following the body, so what's going to happen in the next rega? You're going to sin and justify everything that you've so, done over here. So we can relate this to Kamitz and Matzah also later. Uh, well, it's one second between chametz and not and, and not chametz, right? But let let's that's that's good a thing to think about. So now let's let's move on a little bit. So uh, when we are bringing a korban, what are we? Who are the principal partners over here? When a Jew comes to the base of Migdash, many of them come because they've done an aver. They have to bring a korban, so they need to. They've obviously made a mistake in their order of how they've done things. Either they're starting with the body, and then with the heart, and then with the brain, or they're just not taking what's in the brain and bringing it into the heart. So what happens? What's the, what happens? So uh, it says in Source 21, the Goran Yoma, it says, Kohanim in their avoda, the sacrifice, Levim upon their platform, and Yisrael at their station. Which means, the Kohen, what does the Kohen represent? The coin represents the brain. And that influences the Levi that represents why, what do you see they do? They sing. They sing. It's the emotions that come out. And then it comes to the Yisrael, who is the doer. So now let's try to understand what's going on over here. So what is the coin really? Now we come back to what kind of Torah does the Kohen learn? Remember, he works 52, he has 52 weeks in a year. Two weeks he okay. works in the base space. What do you do the other 50 weeks? Learning Torah. Learning Torah. For what reason? So that he can do the can perform. But is it just to do the work? Just to slaughter an animal? And to no. teach. To teach. It's to teach the Jew. When a Jew comes, he has to do some psychoanalysis with him. So such a beautiful Jew. How, how did it come that you did this? He tries to give him chizuk. 
he tries to explain to him. So what kind of Torah does the coin have? Torahs? Chesed. Chesed. Let's take a look in the blessing that Levi got in source 22. Ulalevi Omar, Tumecha Vurecha, that's the Urim Vitumim, that's the breastplate, Leish Chasidecha, to your man who is a Chosid. And that's what the Kohen was. So now we begin to see a lot of things that's going on over here. We have, for example, again, the world is based on three things Torah, Avoda, and Gibilus Chasadim. Torah applies to the mind. Avoda, prayer, applies to the heart. Gemilas Chasadim applies to the body. How many matzahs on Pesach? Three. What do we call them? Kohen, Levi, Yisrael. What is matzah called? Michla de Meimenusa, the bread of faith. Well, what does faith require? It fares Kohei, Levi, Yisrael. You got to, through this whole story, which you'll see in a minute, the whole Haggadah is going to come around to this. So here becomes the real issue in life. Does your brain influence your heart or does your body influence your heart? The person who sins and goes to the Vesamindesh is because why? His body has been influencing his heart and whatever is in his brain is not getting into his heart. The whole idea of Vesamindesh is we try to correct that. And who's going to help correct that? The Kohen and the Levi. And again, now, so what's happening? So now you're going to bring the Korban and now to correct your mistakes of incorrect use of the order of the brain, the heart, and the body. So now what do you do? First you are what? You're, the Kohen is giving you the intelligence. The Levi is, is, is inspiring you to want to be better. And then you've got to do something on your own. And what do you do? So first of all, when you're going to shecht this, now who should shecht it now? You. Why should the Kohen not shecht it? Because the coin is the man of chesed. And slaughtering does not seem to be an act of chesed. And that's what the, uh, the uh, I don't know where it is now. Well, that's what the Zohar said back in Source 9. Back in Source 9. Someone else should slaughter, not the coin. A coin is going to act with justice. So as not to blemish that which he is one with, which is chesed. Coin is all chesed. It's not his job. His job is not to separate the head from the heart. The Jew messed up and separated the head from the heart. What's the coin's job? To reconnect the head back to the heart. How can he shecht it? How can he separate the head from the heart? The Jew is acknowledging that I'm the one who separated the head from the heart. Nobody else to blame but me. And now the coin has to influence him in a way that you're gonna, we're going to sew back in your body at least. The head and the heart have to be together. Yeah? He can only not check it only for the Ola offering or any other offerings he can... Uh, Israel can check them all. No, go ahead. Oh, so that would... Uh, well, really, all the Corbanos are meant for us to realize to keep our head on our shoulders. <laughs> They're all meant to keep our head on our shoulders. But specifically, the, the Korbanchatis would be more than that, for sure. Okay, now we have to just get to one last point. 
This is all very good, all very good. But what is what are we left with? What is still the one thing I have not? Oh, wait a minute. Why why is it on the north side? Yeah. Before I forget, well, if you understand the positioning, if uh, let let's say which way is north. No, this is yeah, north. yeah. If you're north and vis-a-vis the east, because we always want to look to your shalayim. So if I'm facing in relation to east, north is left. East, left, right, right? Mm-hmm. So now when I'm over here, the left, my heart's on the left, it's my left ventricle, my heart on the left is where the problem was. That's why I stand in a way to show to my left, to the left of east, is the problem is on my left side, is my heart. Hmm. Every other Corbin, there's no problem with the heart necessarily, because it's not a chatos, so therefore it could be any direction you want. But now we got to come to the last point. So I've said all this stuff, but if I just close the class now, I've been very not a good teacher. Okay, I understand everything you said, but how do I do it? Uh-huh. How do I get it to go from the head to the heart? Mm-hmm. What have you been telling? How do you do this? So the Litvics rabbis will say, learn a lot of Musr. Learn a lot of Musr. Study things about spiritual development, about Midos development, which is true. But how do you bring the mind into the heart? Well, let's think about this. The Corbin process was meant to do that. Clearly, the Corbin process, and I guess when you would go through that procedure, it's pretty a bit traumatic. Yeah. You know, sight, not everybody likes the sight of blood. Have you ever been, watch an animal, a live animal, die in front of your face? Yeah. Better yet, have you ever murdered an animal and watch his blood go gushing in front of your face I think for most of us it would be a little bit of a traumatic experience I mean someone says yichi but it's there was an animal who was living and breathing and you killed him and he's dead and that's supposed to be you and the reason that you killed him is because you separated his head from his heart you really get to think, I separate my head from my heart. It's not good. So that was probably a shocking thing, and it would do it the trick. Mm-hmm. We don't have that anymore. So all we have is prayer. Some a prayer has to do this. So let's look at the last source from Rav Moshe Wolfson. May he, may he live long. He has a safer called Vani Tefillah. It's on prayer. And the very first page... He says the following. He says, the primary aspect of a korban is one's thoughts. That's pretty clear. He's supposed to be thinking what's happening to me. More than that, there's an interesting halacha called pigul. I don't want to go into great detail, but if a coin has an incorrect thought during one of the major processing of the animal, even if he didn't do anything wrong, the whole thing is null and void. Finished. Because that's how important the thoughts are. That's a halacha. But we don't have a temple. How do we have this aspect of pigol, at least in some kind of contemporary, hint, a metaphoric way? Similarly, the three prayers that the rabbis enacted corresponding to korbanos. Why do we daven shachris for the morning offering, the korban tamid, the daily morning offering? Mincha, the daily afternoon offering. Mariv, that was how they burnt all the fats. So the three prayers are supposed to replicate 
Carbonos. Well, what happens if the coin is bringing a korban and he has the wrong thought? It's totally invalid. Okay, now let's understand. What's the, what is the biblical mitzvah of prayer and what's the rabbinical aspect of prayer? The rabbinic, biblical aspect is to pray and talk to God. The rabbis instituted the liturgy and when to do it. So if a person, let's say, gets up early in the morning to daven shachas, stops everything in the middle of the day to daven mincha, and when he's tired at night, he still goes and davens marv three separate times a day, so far we can only say he's fulfilled the rabbinic mitzvah. But what if he's not thinking at all about his davening? He has not fulfilled the biblical mitzvah. Right? Because if a Kohen has a foreign thought, the animal offering is no good. <laughs> when you're davening and you're thinking about everything else on your mind, and you're not really thinking about the prayers, it's an invalid prayer. Because the prayers were instituted to parallel the animal offerings. So now let's continue. So prayer is called service of the heart, not service of the lips. Isn't that a great line? For most of us, unfortunately, it's a service of the lips. But it's got to be a service of the heart. If a person prays without kavana, it's not service of the heart. Even though you do fulfill the rabbinic mitzvah, the chazal insult for us to pray three times a day, and you probably have activated things in the heavens like any other rabbinic mitzvah. In other words, when you pray, certain good things happen in the heavens, no question about it, but you have not fulfilled the biblical mitzvah. So now, now we're going to get to the real point on what was the original question I asked you. What do you, why do we pray? Remember I asked that question? And what were the answers? Connect to Hashem. What else did we say? Kapara. What else did we say? Talk to Hashem. That was all correct, but it wasn't talking to the main point. Prayer does what? Brings the Torah of the mind into the heart that's what it does everything you know it brings it into the heart because isn't that what the Corbin did Corbin said there was a disconnect the kapara is what's kapara is to re-sew re the head back out to the neck to the neck what I know I feel now, how do we make ourselves feel that way? With a prayer with kavanah. Let me give you just one example. Prayer is, yes, you're talking to God, that's true, but what's the purpose of talking to God? To, get, to connect to God. What does it mean to connect to God? Learning Torah alone is not going to connect you to God. It's a good start. But if you don't bring it into the heart, the connection's not there. So you study all day long. A person who says that he doesn't daven, he's not going to be connected to Hashem. That's what Rabbi Nachman says, that you daven and pray and daven. It's a virtuous circle. It's a virtuous circle. You learn, and he says, you should pray for what you just learned. You learned the concept, now you're going to daven Marv, you pray for that. Because that means you want that. It's not that I learn it. That's the real Torah's chesed, Alashayna, is when you learn and now you daven and you say, I want this message to get into my heart. So let's give you a simple example. 
The best example is the bracha Barech Aleinu. Bless our year, it's the bracha Parnasah. So why do we make that bracha? So some people will say, I'm talking to God, I need help with Parnasah. Yeah, but what if you don't need help with Parnasah? Do you not have to make the bracha? Of course you have to make the bracha. So what, what, what's the whole point of Barech Aleinu? Hashem bless us. What, what, are, what are we saying? And does it really say in those lines, does it say, give me good Parnasah? It doesn't say that. Blessed this year. And all the crops should be blessed. It's not talking about your personal problems. So I forgot who said this, but it says the whole point is this is the idea of connecting what you know to bring into your heart. Now, what do you know? You know that Hashem is the source of Parnos. You know that. You know that everything you're supposed to make was decided in Rosh Hashanah. Your mind knows that. But does your heart believe it? How's your heart going to believe it? Well, three times a day, you're going to say, God, there's many ways I can make money. Let's say you're a businessman. And some businessmen have this philosophy that business is different. You know, you could be a yeah. firm person and cheat in business. And you make money. You, and you can make more money by cheating in business than not cheating in business. But there's a big difference. The question is, where's the money coming from? If you talk to God, and you say, Hashem, I want you to be the source of my parnasa. <laughs> then the money you make comes directly from God. But if a person figures, you know, I'm the source of my parnasa. You aren't Hashem. Just don't get in my way. I, I can take care of myself. Make sure the markets don't crash. That's all. Yeah. I'm smart enough to, to do good business deals. Just make sure that I don't drop dead in the middle. But I can take care of it. And if you have to take care of it, that means you could do illegal activities because you have to take care of it. When you do things that are illegal, you still make money. Now, how could you be making money if you're doing the wrong thing? The answer is, there's two sources of Parnassah. One is from God, and God created the other side. We'll call it dirty money. We'll call it the black market. We'll talk about esoteric evil forces that God allows if you choose to get the source of Parnassah from there. You can go to the unholy places and what is that? You violate the Torah and you're still making money. How's that? It ain't coming from God. It's coming from evil sources that Hashem enables to do that for you. What's the difference? The answer, if it comes from a bad source, nothing good will come out of it. Hmm. You have all that money, your kids will grow up spoiled and they'll die from an overdose. The money comes from Hashem, only good comes from it. So what do you say every day? Three times a day. Bareich Oleinu, I want you to bless me. I want you to bless me. I don't want it from the dark side. And that means I have to go to work and make a kiddush Hashem and do the rest of the Hashem. And I don't even have areas for that. And you say it three times a day. Tefillah is to connect your mind to your heart, to really feel and to want. It's all about wanting to do everything it says in the Torah. What's the first, the three intermediate brachas are introductions. What's the very first request? Give me the brains. I need the brains. Give me the ability to study Torah. It's the next bracha. Then to do tshuva. And then finally, we talk about our personal needs. 
But from a position of saying Hashem, my the purpose prayer, prayer is that what I know, what I know in my mind, I gotta know it in my heart. And that is the Corbin. And if you mamish say that during davening, you've brought a Corbin. And now you've succeeded in bringing the knowledge of the mind into the heart. And then that is the Corbin you've brought. And then that's the Kapara that you have in feeling connected to Hashem. That is the, and that really, if you think about it, the Seder is exactly the same thing. The Seder is not reading a bunch of pages. The Seder is taking what every Jew knows and through the way everything's written in the Haggadah is to bring it into your heart. And then you end it with action. Eating the matzah, eating the mora, all those things. That is the greatest tefillah of the whole year, almost, is Pesach night, where everything we're doing is meant to bring, of course we know, we know God took us out of Egypt. We say it every day, but we have to feel it on Pesach night. And we feel that by the way the words are said to give us a clear understanding of how we are totally connected to Hashem and the kindness He does for us. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening.